This is Lizbeth Meredith. You're listening to Cut to the Chase podcast. Stepping out beyond boundaries takes courage and the ability to dream. We are excited to share our new audio podcast called Cut to the Chase. The structure of this podcast embodies open dialogue with friends, family, and professional colleagues talking about things that impact our ability to thrive. We hope that you will join our unscripted, unbridled podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cut to the Chase. This is your host, Gregory Proctor. Today, I have actually gone across the continental USA, and our featured guest today is coming to us by way of Alaska. And so today's episode, which is entitled Wrongful Doing, is probably going to be one of the most tragic, triumphant stories that I think we've ever had on our platform. And so today, episode 115, entitled Wrongful Doing, you know, everybody says, Greg, you know, you you have these quotes that you find, and maybe one day you'll share with us how do you find these quotes, but I'm going to share with our listeners, as well as to our featured guests, that I like to spend a lot of time researching and really trying to understand to in, to really bring forth a wholesome type of program that people can just, like I said before, gravitate towards. And the quote that I found today as it relates to wrongful doing basically says, you may not control all of the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. And that is by Maya Angelo. And so to our listeners, our featured, t- featured guest today is a speaker. She's a writer. She's an online teacher, again, based in Alaska with a bachelor's degree in journalism and a master's degree in psychology. She has two beautiful daughters. Her memoir, Pieces of Me, Rescuing My Kidnapped Daughters, won five awards and is currently being viewed by Cineflex for a television adaptation, which is also available in an audiobook form. It underscores the unintentional, sequential, coincidental aspects of leaving a violent relationship. After a challenging career of working with both crime victims and offenders for nearly three decades for the government and nonprofit, she currently enjoys new skills in podcasting, and her podcast is called Persistent You, and developing online courses. So... Everybody's probably said to me in the past, we can always tell, Greg, when the story really resonates and touches your heart because of the tone of your voice. And so today, 
I'm already emotionally engaged with the story because I've had discussion with our featured guests and her story is so moving and so compelling and her mindset of triumph of what she had to overcome to regain custody of her daughters is something so unparalleled and unparamounted that I really wanted to bring the story to light to help others that may be in this situation understand that hope is always on the horizon and that we should never give up. And without further ado, I would like to introduce Elizabeth Meredith. How are you doing today? I am doing so well, Gregory. Thank you so much. I look forward to being on Cut to the Chase. And what a lovely introduction, seriously. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Elizabeth. We we certainly um, are delighted, one, to have you on board. And, uh, you know, just there's just so much love and compassion wrapped around you right now based on everything that you've gone through. We know that your life is in a much better place right now, but certainly... Uh, we 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 recognize and value that that success and that strength and that triumph that you've overcome. Thank and you. so so as we jump into this, um, I think the first thing would be to kind of start out that, you know, you have a journalism and, and a master's degree in psychology. And so what drove you to to really become a writer. I mean, you know, let's let's start with the the positivity aspect of of what happened prior to you getting married. What 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 drove you to become a writer? That's such a fun thought. I um when I was a little kid even, I loved writing and I used to write really tragic poems when I was a little girl. And in all of them I died at the end and everyone missed me. <laughs> This was the recurring theme, but I really enjoyed writing. And so when I was little, I thought, well, maybe I could do that when I got older. Then I wanted to be as early as grade school. Uh, there was a, some tension and some violence in the home and as I was growing up. And I thought, well, I'd become a marriage counselor because I was mm-hmm. reading Can This Marriage Be Saved in the Ladies Home Journal. So, And now mm-hmm. I look back on that and I think it's kind of funny. But I think one thing that was super helpful, it's still helps me today when I remember to think about it this way is when we view our lives as a story, it's, you know, all of us have a story, a beginning, a middle and an end. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that take that adds a little bit of distance and takes away some of the sting when we're going through hard times, because we realize that this story will be retold no matter how it ends. And it just sort of helps to put that distance on it and to think, well, what ending would I like? What is the ending that I'm searching for? It doesn't mean I can control all of it, but what Mm -hmm. would be my ideal ending? And so Mm -hmm. that was a dream of mine. And then it got overshadowed when I married young and I didn't finish college uh, Mm -hmm. straight through when I was a young person and then became a mom. I've kind of put all that to the side. When my life turned out to be something like a lifetime for television movie. Mm -hmm. I remember a a male friend of mine, he said to me, my kids had been kidnapped and I'd failed to bring them home the first trip that I went overseas. Mm -hmm. And it turned into a big, just mess. And I came home feeling so deflated and scared for my kids as to how, how this all affected them, me going and failing. 
And he said, man, you should be really grateful. Think about how great your book's going to be. And Mm -hmm. it was such a cute thing because just that friend to remind you, this won't be forever. Keep showing up. And, you know, it's, it's part of your story. You'll incorporate it. It's part of your story. And I think your listeners, they all have compelling stories. And there are times where we must tell ourselves, this isn't going to last forever. This thing that we're all going through right now, thankfully, will not last forever. Right. And that's kind right. of how writing appealed to me. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. You know, I, I can only imagine as a child and you're writing things that feel comfortable, things that uh, that kind of resonate with you, whether they be, you know, positive, sad, happy, joy. Um, these things provide you with a sense of fulfillment. And I guess my next question would be, you know, as you recognize as a child that you had this this keen ability to write and write stories, as you moved on and you got married early on in life, did you ever think that your life would have the type of tragedy that was so closely resonated to the stories that you were writing? Because I'm sure having your kids kidnapped and then taken off to another country really produced a huge burden inside of your heart. Oh, and yes. so and so my my question here is is did you ever kind of fathom that what was being written in the past as a child has now come to fruition, at least into some context of of where you stood as an adult being married, being a young wife, young spouse. And then, of course, all of these crazy things started to happen in your life. Walk us through a little bit of what transpired in those early days. In the early days, I I will say when I was looking back at my life as my kids were overseas, there was one point in which I was writing in a journal. Um, It it was 19, I'm going to say it was 1996. I may have the date wrong, but I was writing in a journal. That journal entry ended up in my book, but just writing that, wow, you know, it's been six years since I left my former husband. And since that, you know, since that time, I've gotten off welfare. I've got a great job, finished my degree, and have my kids kidnapped in a foreign country. And the mm-hmm. interesting thing about that, as I was journaling, was when I was a young person, when I was a very little kid, my family was also affected by parental kidnapping. My family was also impacted by family violence. And these were the stories that I promised I would never have my own children to be experiencing. These, This was the narrative that I was certain that based on my good intentions alone as a mm-hmm. young person, me wanting to do the right thing by my kids, me not wanting to expose my kids to violence or to divorce. Mm-hmm. All of those things, it wasn't enough. And so Mm -hmm. I would have thought as a young person that, yes, I was going to create a better path. Eventually I did, but I didn't realize as a young person, it takes some work. It takes some self-reflection. It takes maybe some therapy. It takes a whole lot of interventions for some of us to be able to cut a better swath for the next generation. And Mm -hmm. There I was in Greece writing like, wow, a lot has happened in just a few years. A lot of the things I didn't mean to happen 
have happened. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really put together how much that would be an amazing story, a sad, amazing story, but until later, because some of what made it so amazing wasn't me going through horrible times or even my kids being taken to another country as much as how many incredible people who didn't have to help people in Greece, Mm -hmm. people in America, people I knew, people I did not know Mm -hmm. said, this is terrible. What can we do to help? Mm-hmm. And that's something as I, I, you know, even as I'm getting older and certainly when I'm in my final days, maybe even, you know, if I have a warning, if, if I die of old age, this is something I hope stays in my heart is there was a time when for no particular reason, so many people helped to make sure that I reunited with my children and brought them home safely. And there were a lot of terrible injustices that happened along the way. I was arrested in Greece. Um, My former husband did not spend any time being held to account. All of those kinds of things. We had some police problems locally back in the day. I mean, I love our local police department, but had Mm -hmm. some really shady things happening with our local police department that affected my case. But -hmm. in the end, really... It's community and keep continuing to show up that really made all the difference. And I am really an incredibly fortunate for someone who was very unfortunate. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, we, we, we're, uh, we're definitely delighted that you've shared that, that with us. And I guess, you know, my, my next question is as tough as it was for me to, to think about uh, asking this question, but to really relate it in the context of something that, you know, we've kind of, you've kind of moved on from is at the moment in time to the day, to the hour, to the minute that you discovered your kids were kidnapped. I mean, what was your state of mind at that point when you realized that this had come down on you like a ton of bricks? It did come down on me like a ton of bricks. You know, March, and this being March as we're taping, but March is one of those months that has all of the painful anniversaries and some of the good ones with my children. Um, Mm -hmm. I left their dad March 5th. Uh, Four years later, on March 13th, he took them for a, a weekend visit. On March 15th, I realized he'd left the country, and that was in 1994. It was mm-hmm. like a ton of bricks. It really was. He had made some horrible threats in our relationship. He had certainly continued some of the threats in our estrangement. But remember, we'd been apart four solid years. Mm-hmm. And so I'd, I'd had a chance to com- you know, rebuild a lot of my life. That's mm-hmm. very unusual in an international or any kind of parental kidnapping. Typically, if someone's going to do it, it's before they're about to break up or after the breakup. It's sort of an act mm-hmm. of spite that's very direct. Mm-hmm. And this one day, I went to pick my children up from the daycare after work. I worked with domestic violence victims then. And it was snowstorm like 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 it's been for us lately and uh roads were rough i get to the daycare and the daycare workers were like well no not, she's not in this class so i went to my youngest daughter's class no they did not show up today mm. that was 
I knew then. I mean, I knew. I couldn't get the police to understand that I knew, but I, they have to go through their protocols. It wasn't necessarily their fault, but mm-hmm. it hit me that all of the things that he had threatened in the past, they had come to roost and my kids were gone. And then it was many, many hours later before we had a confirmation, at least a rumored confirmation that he'd left the country with my children. And I know how scary that had to have been for them. And you know, what's interesting that this was 1994 when it happened. Mm -hmm. We are now in the year of 2021. My children are in their thirties and they're still telling me things on occasion that happened that they never told me before. And so it is, you know, I mean, our lives have moved on, but in some ways that is always going to be with us. We will always be managing and incorporating some of that scar tissue that happened with the kidnapping and then the subsequent uh, process of healing when they got home. Right. So, so exactly how many months or weeks or years were they taken away from you before you were able to get to a point of resolution with your kids one, being able to bring them back in country and, and two, being able to, um, you know, understand that they were now in a safe and wholesome environment where where no one can hurt them again. How many how, how much time passed when when that occurred? That was a very long time, especially the latter part you mentioned about how long was it before um before they felt like nothing could harm them again. Like they left mm-hmm. March of 1994. Mm-hmm. Two years later, we reunited, but my kids were non-English speakers. So we did reunite in Greece. And then we went through a series of more court hearings there. And when we came home, and I, I won't elaborate too much because it would take so long, but we escaped through Turkey and made our way home. That's how we got home because Mm -hmm. the court decided to overturn custody since the kids had been there two solid years. So we literally took a boat and got to Turkey and made our way home in this mad escapade where I subsequently lost my little marbles. I mean, all of the stress of those years, Mm -hmm. I kept going and kept going and kept going. Finally, when we got home safely, then I really had a hard time with my mental health and had to do a lot of work. But so did they. They had post-traumatic stress disorder. It was quite something. About a year after they got home, he sued us, my former husband, whose name ironically is Gregory, uh, sued us through federal courts. And for a minute, it looked like you know, he had a case. It looked like we could lose. And mm-hmm. then I would be sending my children back to Greece. Now, mind you, when I got to Greece and found where my children were going to school, my children's teachers spoke English, even though my children didn't. And they, Greeks, are wonderful, wonderful culture, great place to visit, but often mm-hmm. have the reputation of sticking up for one another, being more clannish. Mm-hmm. And I could not have found anything more opposite. The teachers said they don't come to school regularly. They come disheveled. They don't, they look neglected. You should take your children and get out. They are not safe here with him. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that it was very important to get them. If they were willing to put themselves out there like that, 
those school teachers, then I knew what they were saying was serious. So it took years before really the dust settled. That doesn't mean that we were not having good times in the middle, like like all of us do when we go through hard times, whether even it's a death or chronic illness or uh, whatever it is, the roof leaking, as an example, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is, we all mm-hmm. manage to have dimension in our lives. So the girls and I had some great highs and some wonderful community and some huge lows as we rebuilt our lives financially, emotionally, spiritually. But it was a long, long time. And I would say, as a young mom, even though I got a master's degree a few years after the kids came home in psychology, we used to believe back in the day that if children went through events super young, maybe it was mm-hmm. a preborn child, or maybe it was in the early couple of years that mm-hmm. something horrifying happened in their family life that, well, how lucky because they were so young, they can't even remember it. Mm-hmm. And so I naively proceeded with my children as though, gosh, darn, aren't we lucky? These kids won't even remember this. And the truth is, that is just silly. And especially I was thinking about the early domestic violence that my daughter had witnessed when she mm-hmm. was two. Mm-hmm. How lucky she was so young. These are things we know now, research tells us that gets kind of written in the very fiber of our being. And it takes some real effort and treatment to unpack it, or it can turn into health or mental health problems and behavioral health issues. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. for my kids, my oldest daughter experienced very serious mental health concerns when she went away to college because it was her first separation from me. The little one has physical health, chronic physical health issues that are consistent with what doctors consider to be, yeah, trauma-related, trauma-related. Her doctor told her, wow, you have an autoimmune disease that I naturally think of middle-aged women who are rape victims having. And he told Mm. her that when she was like 20. So Mm. it's not as though life ended uh, horribly and it didn't get better. But on the other hand, some of that stuff we still manage. And yet it gives us a great quality of life because we also think, aren't things so much better? Aren't we fortunate that we made it through? And hasn't it been such a journey? Right, right. Wow, I'm uh, can feel the uh, the emotional charge uh, in in listening to you and 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 what you had to endure and and really the persistence that you had to exude not only here in country but but abroad as well to stay on course to stay on mission of trying to continue to fight in order to get your daughters back. And, you know, like you said earlier uh, in your opening remarks, it's always good to know that there are good people in the world willing to step outside of their comfort zone and be able to bring forth the characteristics of doing what is right. And, uh, you know, I I am I am floored and shocked um, that that all of this happened to you and the circumstances of good fortune that came out of this um, above and beyond the book, just the simple fact of people, like I said, stepping outside of their comfort zone, being able to look at you as a mom, being able to look at you as a concerned parent, and being able to realize that what has been done was, was not being done 
in the right way. And uh, my hat goes off to to all of those people that were in your line uh, to support you and to help you move forward. Oh, and we that certainly is beautiful. Thank you, Gregory. That is so yeah. true. I mean, they are yeah. literally they're heroes. And I just love right. that you said that you're right. When when something goes terribly wrong in all of our lives, we have to train ourselves to look and to ask mm-hmm. for help at times. But mm-hmm. out there are some great people who are more than willing to provide help and support. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I want to dive into you know, we started out positive, then we we kind of captured a little bit of what transpired, and we appreciate you sharing that. But, you know, there's so many great things that have come out of your memoirs that you wrote pieces of me, rescuing my kidnapped daughters, winning five awards, and now being currently viewed for, you know, the option of of a television series. I mean, that in itself, despite the tragedy to triumph story, but that in itself, to me, really exudes your personality, your character, your integrity, and your persistence to really ensure that you are providing not only the knowledge, but also providing and sharing your story to others so that hopefully they see the early indications, the warning signs, and be able to make those corrections early on. What does that make you feel like at this point in time to have awards and possible television uh, syndication you know, come about? I mean, that, that has to be somewhat of a good feeling. It also brings up you know, some of those bad memories, but, but overall it's, it looks like it's going to really have a positive impact to you and your, and your daughters. Right. Oh, thank you for saying that. And I am, I really am excited. In fact, there've been a number of really, there were the unintended consequences of leaving my former husband, but there've been really fun unintended consequences of us going through really hard times too. I mean, some great things came of it. So it's option for the second time for television adaptation. And I think it may be a TV movie, a one-timer, but Mm -hmm. I don't know yet. Uh, We'll, we'll see. And you know, those deals can go away. We never know, but that they've optioned and written the script twice and been so Mm -hmm. incredibly kind about it and inclusive of me. Um, That's so much fun. I have adored doing, before the pandemic, doing book events, some around the country. I loved it. I literally did love it. As an author, that doesn't always pay off. And who knows, maybe I'll never have an opportunity with other writings, other books, but that was a once in a lifetime, a couple of years. I mean, literally how much fun. And I think the exciting thing is whatever book a person writes, even fiction, children's books, whatever, when we're even talking on a podcast, when one person shares their story, you give permission for another person to connect in a deeper, authentic way and share their Mm -hmm. own. Mm -hmm. And it's so nice to be able to connect in that deep way. It really is. There are those moments where I think, 
gosh, do I, I hope people don't think that I suddenly have it all together and that I don't get super anxious or sad or whatever sometimes because I'm no superhero. I was fortunate to have some skills that served me well when I was in crisis and that served me well writing a book. And some of those same skills that it would take a person to work through different government agencies are the same ones that you need to market a book, literally. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. really hard out there. Right. But that is super neat. And I'm thankful. You know, I also learned that I love to go budget traveling in other countries when I could afford to by myself. And that's something I would not have known about me. You know, I come from parents who weren't able to finish high school and who didn't go anywhere that, Mm -hmm. you know, not, not by their own choice, but they just didn't. And, you know, not trying to malign them in any way, but Wow, I learned that I like making new friends across the globe. So that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. And so I do sometimes just think this has been better than I would have expected. You know, there are things that I wish wouldn't have happened in life. Sometimes I feel huge guilt about, and I think this happens with parents with their adult kids, but yeah, I chose their father. And this is stuff that they will work through their entire lives. It did not turn out the way that I'd hoped for them, but they are strong and fierce and very giving. And so I'm very, very proud of them. And uh, they don't harbor any grudges toward me. They're very, very supportive. But I mean, I'm sure they harbor some grudges, but not not because of their dad. <laughs> well, sure. Let me be clear. We, we, we put the fun in dysfunction, but, uh, sure, but sure. they're just fabulous individuals. And so I am really pleased sometimes. And then I, you know, go about my household chores and, and my tiny little life, but I still feel like, wow, this is neat. And I am very grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it wouldn't do me any justice, you know, not to put a little bit of spotlight on, you know, where your energy is today and and how infectious it is and the aspect of how you've, you know, taken your triumphs, your tragedy to triumphs and moved it into an online curriculum, which is Persistent You, your online or excuse me, your new podcast, which is also Persistent You. So, Can you elaborate a little bit about those two wonderful things that you're currently working on that are that are just now starting to really they're starting to blossom? You know, oh. share with our listeners about that. Thank you. It has been anything but an easy process, but I have loved learning new skills. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a course on persistence. You at, at Teachable. That's where the class is hosted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so right now I'm teaching book marketing on the skinny for independent authors. And so mm-hmm. I'll do that a couple of times a year. I have another course on how to help when someone you love is being abused that I mm-hmm. will again repurpose and release on on Persistence You. And again, it's at Teachable. People can find out more at my website at lameredith.com. But when it came to naming a podcast, and I love what you were doing with your podcast, Gregory, because you're so bringing community together, inspiring conversations that can go across the globe in a time where we're feeling isolated. And that's something I wanted to continue also. I wanted, I thought... I want to have a portable community and I want to share stories of other people and how life is not just designed for people who have money, which I certainly didn't have growing up and 
frankly, still I'm not exactly ruling in it. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you know, life is not just designed for the folks with money, the people with good connections or good luck. But it really, mm-hmm. good things can happen for all of us if we keep showing up, if we reach out for support when we need it, and when we are persistent. And so I wanted Persistence You to be a big part of my life. And it, it's helped me meet incredible people such as yourself. And I love it. And like I said, I'm in a place of transition. So also my stress level is a little uh, high. Uh, I may be moving even from the state eventually because I have retired from those other jobs. But you know what? I'll have a community. I'll keep showing up. And I just adore that life, you know, that I've been able to finish my career in one thing and pivot to the next. It is very, very exciting. Awesome. 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 You know, we're, uh, again, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, we're, we're certainly delighted that uh, this encounter, you know, was able to happen. Um, you know, we've, we've had such a pleasure and joy and opportunity of getting to know about you and your daughter and your book, and then all of the great things that you have going on in your life. Uh, we support you and your new podcast, uh, Persistent You, as well as all of the content that you're putting out there. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it does start with, you know, people say a lot about mindset. They say a lot about self. They say a lot about showing up. But I think you have really exemplified the model of persistence because, you know, for two years, you know, for two years, you, you know, had your nose to the grind, you were pressing forward and trying to find all of the avenues. And probably a lot of these things were outside of your skill mix. They were outside of <laughs> you being able to figure out, well, what do I do next? But you stayed persistent. You were, you, you had the consistency and the determination as a mom to, to get her kids back home and to have them be literally in a safe and comfort, comfortable space, you know, with you, um, they're sharing that space with them. And that persistence, you know, is something that doesn't go lightly. I mean, and I, and I, and like I said earlier, that, that is true triumph. That is true success in my book. And, you know, a lot of times I wish that more people would have that versus the notion of saying, well, I think I'm just going to give up because we have, we have become a society of wanting it to be easy, wanting us to be able to, you know, just push a button and things will happen or the convenience of, you know, concierge type services. And I'm too lazy to take out my trash and all these other different types of crazy things that, that make it more convenient. But when you think about how you have to stand up straight and realize who you are and that you must tower over your circumstances. Well, Elizabeth, I can tell you, you know, out of all the people that I know that have the capability of being able to do that, including those words that I just read by Maya Angelou, you are that person. 100%. You are that person. And uh, we're almost out of time. And what I'd like to be able to do here is ask you when, when and if, 
Okay, when and if. I mean, this is kind of a, a twofold question, not necessarily rhetorical. But a lot of times I like to ask people, you know, what were some of the lessons learned that you gathered when you were going through this this tragedy to triumph type of uh, scenario that went on for two years of your life. What are the takeaways that you could share with our listeners? You know, maybe two or three takeaways that that help transcend it, your mind and transcend it who you are, because it really pushed you to the brink. And so what are some of the things that you learned? Well, and thank you for that wonderful question and your kind words. I really appreciate it. I I feel like I am a chaotic, I grew up in a chaotic home and I can generate a lot of chaos and any of us can going through a huge stressor mm-hmm. like a child abduction or whatever else that life throws at us. And so creating a structure and having pretty good habits as far as trying to eat decently, continue to get out and walk and be outside because nature gives us so many good things and natural sunlight is important. Mm-hmm. And when I wanted to fall to pieces, you know, I had, I was making $10 an hour, I believe when my kids were first taken, it's a hundred thousand dollar problem. So I still mm-hmm. needed to work. So a friend of mine had said, Hey, you know what, when you're going through really hard times, and I think she said this when I was leaving my husband, but like, just give yourself an hour a day to have a complete meltdown to do your worrying, to do your anger, to rage, throw things, whatever you need. Mm-hmm. But those other 23, they have to be about finding your kids and going on about the business of life. Mm-hmm. And so that's really important that you schedule your worry. And that's something that I still have to come back to sometimes because that was a powerful lesson. And so that self-care, yes, we do need to eat well. We need to show up better for ourselves than anyone else really to make it through some hard times. We need to kind of get our heads around. I don't mean put on a pretty face and pretend that everything's okay all of the time. I don't mean that, but rather schedule the worst of the emotions for a certain time a day, and then really devote that time to them. Be sure to honor them. No one's helped by pretending everything's okay and we'll just make it through, but we need to get around letting it take over our entire lives. And I think those were really important messages in addition to looking for help and support and just thinking about I'm writing this in a subsequent book, but in crisis, when you go through a crisis, it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to define you. It can refine you. And I really want that to be the message for people is allow it to make some changes that you're proud of, that you're proud of in -hmm. your life. Not just, oh, that horrible thing happened. I'm never looking back. I'm going to put it in a box. Thank God it's over. But rather... Take inventory and what were the cool things that you learned after the fact, the cool new friendships, the connections, the transformation, and hold on to that, you know, hold on to that quietly and go and move forward. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that wisdom. Um, certainly there was a lot of, uh, a lot of factual, concise, information put into that because, you know, you, you, I think you hit the nail on the head when you're in a crisis, you are really just, you know, you're, you're feeling rage, you're feeling, you know, all of the anger of, of what the crisis is doing to you. And sometimes you just want to revert back 
to some of the things that that kind of force you to to take it easy almost. And and you know, I, I like the way you you stated, you know, think about the good things, think about the positive things that you've learned. And then of course the one most important fact is give yourself that moment of time to go out there and whatever, hit the golf ball or, you know, throw things around and Correct. but, but focus, <laughs> focus in on the other 23 hours. I, I really do like that. I mean, I, I think that's probably uh, something that a lot of people will probably gravitate towards, you know, when you're in those crisis moments and what do you do to kind of really keep your mental health together, you know, and, that, and that's a really good exercise. I, I, I really like that. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. One of my goals is in the next year to create a course helping people work through some really life-changing things Mm -hmm. and giving them skills that helped me, but also learning from them as well. So that's good. It's good to hear because we really do all go through some things where life was defined before this crisis and then after the crisis. And so just, just coming out with it doesn't all have to be bad and we can take those skills and move on forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Totally, totally agree. Well, Elizabeth, um, this has been really a very insightful uh, conversation. I have uh, I've learned a lot, you know, about, you know, certainly being in a crisis and having to deal with that crisis, you know, like 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 yourself, you know, two years, two years in the making. Um that speaks very highly and commendable of of who you are as as an individual and of course now we understand the tie back to the persistent you but as we as we uh, as we come to a close here you know i want to try and emphasize with individuals that it's so important to realize that we sometimes face wrongful doings and it may not be as far out as what has happened with Elizabeth, or it may not be something that we think twice about. We just might, you know, turn the other cheek. But at the end of the day, it requires you to show up. It requires you to speak. It requires you not to rant. It requires you to be persistent in life to ensure that you don't leave those feelings bottled up inside. And so without further ado, this has been episode 115 entitled Wrongful Doing. Elizabeth, thank you again for being on the program. And for everyone out there, please maintain compassion, unity, and let's try and make this world a better place. This is your host, Gregory Proctor. Cut to the chase. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Cut to the Chase. Stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Cut to the Chase. You'll also find even more great content on our website at www.k2tcpodcast.com. Thank you and catch you on the next episode.